0: Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some
1: strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Music. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. We are recording this on February 19, 2020. I am Anna Garcia and joining me today is criminal defense attorney and author Sarah Azari.
2: Hi, Sarah. Uh, hi, Anna.
1: Great to see you. I'm oh, so glad that you're here. I know that you were a regular on Crime Watch Daily, the show that I used to work for. You have a law firm here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. What kind of law specifically do you do? What kind of cases? The tough ones?
2: I do everything from simple to tough in both state court and federal court. So my practice is basically A to Z criminal defense. I um, defend clients on homicides, sex offenses, drug offenses, um, you know, white collar crimes in federal courts. So uh, anyone who's accused of a crime and come to me, I can pretty much handle the matter. Um, uh, I would say about 60 percent of my cases are sort of the street crime cases that you guys cover here on Crime Watch Daily. Um, And yeah, my office is in, in downtown Los Angeles. I sometimes travel to other states for for court cases. Um, But I'm based in L.A. and I've been doing this for about 20 years. I'm old. (laughs) No, not at all, Sarah.
1: Not at all. And somehow you have managed to find some time to write a book.
2: Yeah, I um, came, you know, one of the things that um, sort of compelled me to write this book, which is Nothing to do with true crime. It's uh, it, it's white-collar crime, and it has to do with the Russia investigation and uh, the Trump campaign. Um, and what really compelled me to write it was that as a criminal defense attorney over the years, people have always come up to me and asked me the basic question of, you know, how do you defend people that you know are in fact guilty? How do you live with yourself? How do you go to sleep at night? And suddenly, those questions it changed overnight when President Trump took office. And those questions became more about is Trump going to go to jail? Is his son going to go to jail? Or what's happening with the AG? Or was it? And I thought, wow, I've never been asked these questions. And I think these are important questions to answer for lay people. Um, so I wrote this book, which is just a basic, essential guide. And my goal was for the most basic layperson person, no offense intended, but somebody with no legal background to be able to understand. Um, the application of the law to the facts, and 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 you know, as someone who defends both white collar and blue collar crimes, um, I hate when people differentiate between those two, and somehow think that a white collar offender is, uh, you know, belongs to some exclusive club, and there's this elitist attitude towards people who, you know, to me, crime is crime, uh, and so I really wanted to make it understandable and accessible to you know majority of readers, and so that was the goal behind the book. And And I'm excited. It's out. It's out. I think March 1st, but it's out on pre-order.
1: Excellent. And what's
2: the name? It's called unprecedented: a simple guide to the crimes of the Trump campaign and presidency.
1: Wow, (laughs) that and defending people accused of murder, right? All in one human being. A little bit of everything. All right, Sarah. We've got two cases this week in South Carolina. A six-year-old girl went missing and was found dead nearly three days later. And now her alleged abductor and murderer has killed himself. But first, we're going to go to the state of Washington, where a 38-year-old woman and her 16-year-old daughter have been arrested after allegedly drugging a woman and plotting to steal the woman's infant. I call this the case of the former mayoral candidate poisoning a cupcake in the attempt to steal a baby because
2: you just cannot make up these stories. This one's insane. It's insane. I mean, she's definitely not all there to me. Um, You know, she uh, has been charged with um, second degree kidnapping uh, or attempted kidnapping and second degree assault, which relates to the the drugging of the cupcake. Um, That particular count. You know, as a defense, from a defense perspective, I think that's probably the more defensible uh, count because where are her medical records, where did the cupcake come from? Um, was it was it actually the cupcake? I mean, there's a lot of questions that this raises for me. But I think the the more serious offense is the attempted kidnapping in the second degree, which carries up to uh, 10 years in prison. Both mother and daughter are charged with the same uh, same offense. And so. um, I think the, the, the issue that's sort of important for everyone to understand is that an attempted crime is a crime. So sometimes people think, well, if the effort was stymied and the crime was not completed, right. that somehow that's a defense. And it's not. It's the fact that she did try to do this, that there is a pattern where she's reached out to multiple people on Facebook. It's not an isolated incident that you can say, well, you know, maybe maybe we need to really look into this victim and her allegations. You know, there's a power in numbers. And so there's multiple people that have come forward. And I think the detectives are looking for additional people that they think are out there who have been her victims. Absolutely. I think the police at first
1: said they didn't know what to do with her story because it's it's it sounds so crazy. So let's let's give everyone the background Mm -hmm. of what happened. So on February 5th, a woman calls 911 and she says she's been drugged. So Alicia Miller, she's a new mom. She said that she felt drowsy. She was vomiting uncontrollably. And she said that parts of her body were numb, her lips, her face. So she was very confused. She told police that she believed that she had been drugged by a woman who came to her house posing as a photographer who specializes in babies. Now, according to the sheriff's department, the victim said that she met the suspect on this Facebook page devoted for devoted specifically to newborn moms. And if you're looking to steal a baby, perfect place to go, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the uh the suspect is 38-year-old Juliet Parker. Mm-hmm. Now she's the one who advertised on on Facebook. In fact, we have her posting from Facebook, which is so innocent the way it begins, Sarah. I got new professional photography equipment for Christmas and would love to offer free photos and free photo sessions. She goes on to say that if you have a new baby that is less than 14 days old or are at least 37 weeks pregnant, of course, you couldn't see the premeditation into right. she's shopping here. She's right, absolutely right. Absolutely. She, um, and then she'll say, you know what? I pick people randomly. I'll let you know the next day. Mm-hmm. There is nothing random about this alleged. No,
2: plot. it's a very sophisticated scheme. And she is targeted. A platform where she can easily dupe people. And, you know, she grooms these people. I think with the uh, with Alicia, she went in a few times, and this was on the third visit that she took the cupcake in. So, yeah, there's there's a a method to this madness. It's very well planned. oh, um, it, it definitely is because, you know,
1: her story was was pretty good. She said, look, I've got this equipment. I want to build a portfolio. I want mm-hmm. to become a baby photographer. So right now I need to practice and I'm looking for new moms mm-hmm. and their babies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that kind of sounds like. A, and it's free. And it's free. Right. <laughs> sounds really good. She was specifically, though, really didn't want babies much older than 14 days. Mm-hmm. And then we'll find out later. Mm-hmm. So. The new mom says that she had a three-week-old baby. Like you said, she had Mm. been to the house three times. On the third time, she arrives with her teenage daughter, who's 16 years Mm. old, and cupcakes. So supposedly the two fed the mom the cupcakes. That's when she started feeling really sick. But before she completely kind of got very foggy and and not knowing what was going on, she thought it was odd that the alleged photographer Mm -hmm. was taking selfies of herself Mm -hmm. with the baby Mm -hmm. on her phone Mm -hmm. i mean that's a little bizarre it's creepy right yeah and then she said and she couldn't quite make sense of what was going on Mm -hmm. she said that she got the sense that the woman kept wiping down everything that she touched as if to wipe away fingerprints but if you don't know that you are a that you are about to be a crime victim you would just think, well, maybe the person's a little germ phobic, a little OCD. Yeah, right. Sure. I mean, how how would you know exactly what was right. going on? OK, so then w- that's when she eats the cupcake, gets very ill. And she told the photographer and her daughter to get out of the house because mm-hmm. she wasn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. And then she calls 911 and then she's also looking for her keys. Mm-hmm. She finds that her keys are missing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it turns out that the photographer, Juliet. Swipe the keys, although Mm -hmm. she claims she saw them in the driveway and was going to return them. Right. Right. Sure. Sure. (laughs) A few days later and, you know, at the other side of town. Right. Right. So the mom at the hospital is describing, you know, how she's feeling. Uh, They run some tests and the mom claims that she was told by doctors there that her symptoms fit And uh, being drugged by GHB, which is the date rape drug. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. what they're thinking. She may have been slipped, but we still don't know for sure exactly what it was. Right.
2: And I think that from an evidentiary standpoint, we do need medical records. We do need to, um, you know, connect the dots between the visit by Juliet and her daughter, the cupcake and the woman's condition, the victim's condition. Um, so I think these are allegations that need to be proven. I think that the, the count for the um, attempted kidnapping is obviously a very slam dunk, open and shut type of charge. And um, and one thing that I just want to add is that she could potentially face federal charges as well because she used, um, you know, a platform that is accessible through the Internet. Um, and there is apparently evidence that she intended to take the baby across state lines and move it out of state. And that makes it a federal case. And so if there's enough victims who come forward, the stakes are big enough. There's, you know, usually the feds don't take small cases with one or two victims, but more victims come forward. And this is such a sophisticated scheme, like we had discussed. um, This could very well be a federal charge as well. And the feds and the state can uh, prosecute simultaneously. The sheriff's department says that there is evidence uh, based
1: on several search warrants that they served, that the photographer was indeed planning to steal a newborn baby and take it out of state to mm-hmm. raise it as her own. Mm-hmm. And so essentially what she was doing on Facebook, she was shopping for her new baby mm-hmm. and she supposedly wanted a little girl is what mm-hmm. we're told. Mm-hmm. Um The detectives say that they found text messages between Juliet, the photographer, and an ex boyfriend of hers going back a year. And in those text messages, she's making references about GHB and she's asking her ex boyfriend if he can get some for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, they could have been fooling around, they could have been a joke, or it could have been quite serious. Right. When you put everything into context, things look quite differently. There were more text messages, apparently. Juliet Parker said in these messages that she could get a kid from a homeless person and mm-hmm. then raise the child with this man, I guess. She was trying to get back together with her ex, mm. and she was offering the possibility of getting a baby and having a baby together as opposed to having it together she just wanted to take someone else's and she said she would right. marry
2: him asap cuz it's kind of expensive to get a surrogate you know so sh- so this was probably a easier way for her to have you know have a baby real quick and raise it herself i think that the ex boyfriend's going to be a star witness I think he's going to have a lot to say and establish the text messages, the context of the relationship, uh, why she wanted a baby, that she wanted a baby, um, you know, all the stuff that goes to her state of mind and her motive. Um, I see the ex-boyfriend definitely being uh, uh, sort of the star witness in this case. The text messages obviously are going to be important piece of evidence um, between the two of them. Um, Again, I think the medical records of the victim are going to be telling as well. Um, but those are damning, you know, GHB, and then let's just say there was GHB in the victim's system, right? And she's asking her boyfriend for GHB in the text messages. I mean, that's very strong circumstantial evidence that she drugged this woman with GHB. And apparently her teenage daughter, the one who was arrested
1: with her, was also texting the mother's ex-boyfriend. and the teenage daughter was suggesting kidnapping a baby girl because her mom, really wants a baby girl more than anything, and she
2: says she wants a baby girl to call her own, quote, Mm -hmm. to call her own. It's it's a family affair, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it it, it took a village to basically do this. And again, like I said, the fact that it didn't, the crime was not completed is not a defense. It's an attempted kidnapping, which is treated just like a kidnapping.
1: So do you think that the text message between the teenage daughter and the mom's ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. do you think that's really damaging to the teenager that she knew exactly what was going on cuz she's basically saying let's get a baby for mom because that'll make her really happy.
2: Absolutely. She's a co-defendant. She's an aider and abetter. She's more than an aider and abetter. She actually participated in the, in the crime. I mean, the, the mom probably thought let me take her on the third visit because I might need some help. You know, the cupcake, the keys, the baby, the selfies. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening, you know, multitasking. So, you know, the daughter was was a good sort of right-hand person for that. And I I think, you know, uh, the thing she has going for her is her age. And obviously the issue is going to be whether she would ultimately be removed to adult court. I know she's right now in juvenile court, um, but sometimes, you know, especially at age 16, Uh, it it is possible that there'd be a removal hearing and then she could be tried as an adult. I mean, the only thing she really has going for her is that, you know, possibly the dynamics between her and her mom being sort of under the influence of her mom into doing this and that, you know, she's really not of the age, even though she knows right from wrong to really appreciate the the gravity of her conduct. And so she's just sort of playing along with her mom's scheme.
1: Well, uh, they also, the police also contacted Julia Parker's ex-husband, who is the father of the teenager. So they divorced and the ex-husband told a Seattle TV station, quote, she is insanely manipulative. That's what he's saying about his Mm ex-wife, the alleged Mm -hmm. baby stealer. Mm -hmm. They divorced in 2004 and the estranged husband says that he is really upset at his teenage daughter for the fact that she may have participated in this, but he also feels that she may have been dragged into mm-hmm. the kidnapping plot. Mm-hmm. And he believes that that his daughter, in if she is guilty, must be held accountable. Now, the couple also has a 10-year-old boy, mm. but he— lives with the father and mm. it looks like the daughter lives with the mother. Right. So he also may have a lot of information that he'll be able to help the authorities with about Absolutely. state of mind and, and all of that. Absolutely.
2: Right? Absolutely. But I think, uh, I think the, the ex-husband is for sure also witness to some extent, but I think the star witness ultimately is going to be the ex-boyfriend with whom she has text messages because ultimately the baby was for that relationship. And, uh, they talked about it and, you know, raising a baby together, etc. cetera. So I think he's critical to the case. Other women have come forward, but they came forward after
1: they heard about this attempted kidnapping mm-hmm. because many of them at the time that they were getting the free photographs really didn't know what was going on. But they do recall that it was kind of bizarre and weird. So one pregnant woman says that she took Parker up on her offer. She too found the posting on Facebook and that when Parker came over to her house, the woman says that Parker pulled her sleeve and used her sleeve to open the doorknob, so she wouldn't touch mm-hmm. it with her hand, mm-hmm. and and the and then rather than sitting on any of the furniture, Juliet, the photographer, insisted on sitting on the floor. The mm-hmm. mom says, "Okay, that was really kind of bizarre, mm-hmm. but you know, okay, people are weird." Mm-hmm. So the expectant mom, her name is Victoria Morris. She told CBS that she thought, indeed, Parker was a little strange, but she was excited to get the free session. Mm-hmm. So Parker took pictures. She was pregnant at the time. So she took pictures pregnant in the driveway with her husband and she was pretty happy with the photos and that Juliet Parker, this is the photographer, had said to the woman, you know what? I'd love to take pictures of the delivery and I'll do mm-hmm. it for free. Mm-hmm. So the woman actually expected that she was going to show up at the hospital. But the day that the baby came the day she went into labor is the same day that juliet parker was arrested it all happened on valentine's day
2: oh thank god for that woman right right she dodged a bullet but that woman is really not a victim she got some free photos of you know free pregnancy (laughs) photos uh but she didn't there was really no attempted um uh kidnapping in that case although that's probably where this would have gone, you know, had she had the opportunity. I think with her, uh, she could potentially also be a witness to establish the pattern of conduct and sort of corroboration of um, her motivations and how she was carrying out the scheme. But I don't think she's a victim, although I'm glad she's reached out to law enforcement because she could help with uh, her experience. Do you think that Juliet
1: Parker, the photographer, alleged baby kidnapper. Do you think that the reason she was taking selfies with the babies was to see which one looked like her the most so she could pull this off?
2: I, I'm trying to figure out why. I know, I, f- I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> but this woman is so bizarre. I don't know if we can really get in her head, you know, and figure things out. Um I, I, probably, probably she was trying to see, you know, who 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 was the closest, who resembles her the best. Uh, to where it's not – it doesn't raise a red flag and, you know, where she can get away with it easier. I, don't I know. mean, that's what uh,
1: – I, I think that would yeah. be logical, but I don't know. That's just my opinion. Unless
2: she meant to maybe use those photos to get more victims, you know, groom more people, lure more people in, you oh, know, to show that – Like advertising. You know, yeah, like advertising, a promotional – There you go.
1: Selfies, I don't know. (laughs) Working all the angles there she (laughs) was, this Juliet Parker. Well, finally, on February 14th, Valentine's Day, Pierce County Sheriff's deputies arrested 38-year-old Juliet Parker and her 16-year-old daughter, who, of course, is not named because she is underage. And they were charged, as you say, with assault and attempted kidnapping. Now, here's what I find interesting, and I could really use your help in figuring out what this means. So bail was originally set at $50,000. But then when she went back in for a hearing, the court increased her bail because she made she made the fifty thousand she, dollars. She managed mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. a bond. They they increased bail to one hundred fifty thousand dollars because both the judge and the prosecutor believed she was a flight risk mm-hmm. and she was a danger to children. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they actually upped
2: it. Do they usually do that? So uh, let me ask you a question. So. Um, Did they add charges when they increased the bail or the charges remain the same? It looks like the charges remain the same. Okay, so generally bail is uh, set per schedule and it's county by county and uh, and it it sort of correlates with the the particular violation by statute. And um, so if the charge didn't change, you know, if she was still charged with the same two charges, the bail normally would not change. However, Under certain circumstances where where there's aggravating factors, the prosecution can make a motion to depart from the scheduled bail and for a bail increase, Um, possibly, again, I'm speculating, but possibly because of you know, some of the aggravated circumstances here where she had gone to multiple homes, she had used Facebook, reached out to multiple victims um, and, uh, you know, made multiple attempts to kidnap different babies. Uh, she really is a danger to society or danger to children specifically. Um And, the, you know, the flight risk factor is absolutely, you know, the, the, one of the most important things in, in in a criminal case when you're considering bail. Um The, the higher the stakes, you know, kidnapping, in, in in Washington state, um, she could be facing up to 10 years. So, you know, when you're looking at a lot of time, exposures high, they look at you like you're more of a flight risk, you know, because if it was a little itty bitty crime, you probably wouldn't want to run. But, you know, the, the, being that it's such a serious crime, she's looked at like someone that might flee. Um, so I see this as, uh, again, not looking at the court records or anything, but I feel like that, that there was an argument made for a departure from the scheduled bail um, because of the circumstances of the case. And the original victim said that she
1: was so frightened that yeah. this woman was going yeah. to come back to get her yeah. baby. And part of the bail, uh, the court ordered that she, in addition to not having any contact with children, specifically not with the victim. Right. But as yeah. you know, just telling someone not to do something doesn't necessarily Does, mean that they absolutely
2: will. not. And you know, they violate their bond all the time and you know, when you think about it, you know, I, I have a lot of issues with bail and I always think the bail's set too high and people that are indigent can't make bail. I I, mean, I think we we need massive bail reform in the country. But um but in this case I'm like $50,000. What is that for this type of conduct? It's it's not right. You know, something doesn't match up. So I don't think that the bail increase is quite frankly that unusual or that extraordinary because it merits that kind of bail. I mean, this is some some, you know, it's a repeated conduct, multiple victims, babies involved. Uh, it's horrific. I mean, I you know, fifty thousand dollars is not guarantee that the person would. Answer to the charges through trial. And she apparently had several aliases. Police say that she went by the names of Juliet Parker,
1: which we believe to be her legal name, Juliet Noel and Juliet Gaines, which Mm -hmm. would have been her married name. Mm -hmm. Now, to make this story even more bizarre, if it could be, let's look at Juliet's history a little bit better. It appears that she ran for mayor of Colorado Springs the year before. Okay, so just 1 year before her alleged kidnapping spree, mm. she was running to be mayor of Colorado Springs. Mm. She did not win, mm. but she said during her campaign that she described herself as an honest, caring and respectful person. Get this with a good moral code.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> well, fast forward apparently not. Um How bizarre yeah, is so this? bizarre. So How?
1: It's just I mean, the, I've I've just never heard of a story as crazy as this. So we've got about a dozen moms who have come forward saying that they were targeted Mm. and that she approached them. And the original mom, the victim, Alicia Miller, um, She's the one who busted the alleged baby thief. She says that she is so traumatized by the Mm -hmm. event. She had a little, there was like a press conference and she actually spoke before the cameras. She said that she's afraid to be in her own home, that she doesn't like to go anywhere. She says she carries a machete and pepper spray and Mm -hmm. sleeps with a knife under her pillow. Mm -hmm. She is worried that Juliet Parker is going to come back and steal her baby.
2: Right. And I, and I, I I can understand that. I think that with a lot of these people who've come forward, um, I think law enforcement has to sort of weed out the victims from the witnesses. I think to the extent that she actually attempted the kidnapping like she did with Alicia, then those are also victims that could be that she could be facing charges for. But to the extent that they were, you know. They experienced something weird with her and she was just grooming them and she didn't actually get to the point of, you know, taking some steps towards the, the, the commission of the crime. Then those are just basically witnesses who will corroborate Alicia's story.
1: Do you think there's a good chance she could get off?
2: Because you, I don't think you know? that she's going to get. I think this is there's strong circumstantial evidence for the attempted kidnapping. I do I, think that if she were to get off on something, it would be the second degree assault for the drugging, um, especially if that is just as to Alicia. No one else has experienced that. And then, you know, her medical records are questionable. You don't find the GHB in her system. You know, those are all things that are positives or favorable to Juliet. Um, so I think that, again, I'm speculating because I don't know what the labs look like, mm-hmm. but I think. If she had a chance of uh, putting up a defense, going to trial on these charges, it would be on that count and not the kidnapping.
1: Okay, there is a little bit of a silver lining. It's tiny, but it's it's like an act of kindness that I think goes a long way toward healing when something really horrible happens. Mm -hmm. So the deputies from Pierce County Sheriff's Department, they felt so badly for the mom, Alicia Miller, because They they knew she was so unsafe. They actually installed and paid for new locks and window guards so she would feel safer in her house. Not only did they install it, but they paid for it.
2: Well, that's nice. Law enforcement doesn't usually do that. No, isn't that? I (laughs) mean, that's what
1: I mean. It's like that is such a kind offer and probably one that goes at the heart of where she feels most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. She doesn't feel safe anymore. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they did
2: it themselves is very well. You very know, kind. these days you all you always well. I you know from my perspective, I go Wait, to protect and serve. Really, like this is how you protect and serve. So that's you know where you go. They're actually protecting and serving, and they're you know they're they're doing something good in the community for someone that has been harmed and and wronged. And so that's nice to hear. Yeah, I mean that's the good good thing that comes out of this case. Yeah, I want to make sure that that they
1: got some attention for that because that was right. a really kind thing to do. Yeah. All right. Our second case is so tragic. This is the case of six-year-old Faye Sweatlick from South Carolina, and she was found dead on February 13th. This happened in Casey, South Carolina. It's a small town, 13,000 people. Faye mm-hmm. was last seen on Monday afternoon, February 10th. She got off the school bus, and then she was playing in her front yard. At about 3.45 that afternoon, her mom realizes she's gone. Mm-hmm. So the mom goes and does what every mom does Does in a panic, searching for her child. And by five o'clock, she knew something was wrong and she called police. The search started immediately. They had about 200 officers and they searched for three days. They checked every vehicle, house, more than 280 homes, businesses, and churches. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was an all out search Mm -hmm. for this little girl. And the clue that actually cracked the case came from a trash can on Thursday. Monday, she disappears. Mm -hmm. Thursday, they find in a trash can Faye's little polka dot Mm -hmm. rubber rain boots. The little boots that she was wearing when she came home from school, they were also in the photo that police and and people who were volunteer searchers had that photo of her. Mm -hmm. So when they Found the rain boots in the trash can. They also found something that I'm still trying to figure out what it was. It was like a soup ladle with some dirt in it. So Mm it's kind of an odd thing to find.
2: Um, I think that that, I was thinking the same thing, Um, Anna, and I thought that that's probably something that uh, Taylor, who I'm sure you're going to talk about, may have used to dig dirt to maybe bury the body or something. I don't think it belonged to her, but I think... It's something that may have been used to in the crime in the crime.
1: Okay. so what the cops did when Mm -hmm. they found the rain boots is they matched the trash can to the home. Mm -hmm. So this trash can belonged to a 30 year old man named Cody Taylor. Mm -hmm. And the police decided then to search his house, the back of his house Mm -hmm. and behind his house, his backyard. There are some woods. Mm -hmm. And not long after that, they found the body of six year old Mm -hmm. Faye. Mm hmm. Then, when they went to the back of the house, Cody Taylor's house, they found him dead Mm -hmm. and it looked like he had slit his own throat. Mm -hmm. So he was dead. They, of course, called paramedics. So now we have to look back to what may have happened here Mm -hmm. because police say that on Wednesday, that would be the day before Faye was found dead, Mm -hmm. before Cody Taylor was found dead, Mm -hmm. they had gone to cody taylor's house they had questioned him and he had voluntarily let them into his home Mm -hmm. to do a search Mm -hmm. and they said that they didn't really find anything Mm -hmm. and and but for you this is indicating something
2: yeah i you know uh, first of all this is so incredibly tragic because there is no justice you have a first degree murder And you don't have a murderer that's on the run. You have a murderer that's gone. Um, Like you said, he committed suicide. And um, this case raises a lot more questions for me than answers. I feel that law enforcement obviously had a lead or a tip to go to Cody Taylor and interview him on that Wednesday. And I need to know more about that interview, about the tip, what they knew about him, uh, what they asked of him. Um, you know, did they search maybe behind his house where they ultimately found uh the body and then the trash bin where they found the two items, her boots and um phase boots and the ladle or or did they search there and then those items were not there on that day? It could have been that he um threw the body in the woods or buried the body in the woods on Thursday. I mean that the police did say that uh, it, her body had not been there for that long, that it had just been placed there. So, I have a lot of questions and I think you know, there's there's no justice. This is one thing I do know. There's no justice in this case. Um, but I think the community and the family needs some closure. And I think um they need some answers as to what the motive was here. I mean, is Cody um does he have a grievance against the family? What was his relationship with Faye? Did they have a friendly relationship? He's obviously a lot older than the kid, but um was we'll see this nice neighbor guy that was maybe friendly to the kids are there other victims perhaps that could be connected who are missing that could be connected to him what is his social media like what are his text messages like let's talk to the people that know him you really need to figure out what why he did what he did it's clear he is the the suspect i mean there's no other person there's dna match uh from the not the crime scene, but from the scene in the woods where the body was found, where Faye was found on Thursday, that matches the DNA um, in uh, Taylor's home. And, you know, with DNA evidence, you're really damned (laughs) Mm -hmm. because these days with technology, it's really hard to challenge DNA evidence. So the match is pretty much accurate. You know, I could say that with some confidence. Um, so the, the evidence is, is really strong that that and we don't have any other suspects. So, you know, it, it really probably was him. And and if and if, a, you know, if a dead man could stand trial, suicide would be consciousness of guilt, you know, to, to commit suicide out of nowhere right after you've been interviewed by police and somebody went missing and the body's, you know, um, discovered. Um, that's pretty much it indicates that. He is the perpetrator. He is the suspect. So you believe that the cops interviewing him
1: and then searching his home on Wednesday likely triggered his suicide and perhaps his, you know, feeble attempt to try and bury her because Absolutely. she was found
2: easily. Absolutely. And they said that she her her body had not been there that long, so I think wherever the bo- the body was obviously hopefully not in the house because law enforcement didn't find it, right on Wednesday. So I think uh, wherever he had the body. Um, on Wednesday, it prompted him that, that, you know, they're out to find someone and there's a reason why they interviewed him. They had some kind of a tip or lead. And, uh, and I think that he, you know, which, which happens, um, people panic and they do things with bodies and he dumped the body in the woods and he dumped the evidence in the trash can and, um, and then took his life.
1: The coroner has said clearly that the time of death for Faye would have been the same day that she was abducted. Mm-hmm. So she was taken on Monday and that she most likely died on Monday mm-hmm. and that she died of asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. but they haven't told us whether anything else was done to her if she was violated or if she had mm-hmm. been beaten we don't we don't know any of that. Mm-hmm. They, so been, we just know the cause of death, basically. Exactly, right. And that it most likely happened on Monday, which means if the police interviewed him on Wednesday, little Faye's body was somewhere. Somewhere, right.
2: And hopefully they, not in his house. And I've had cases where police miss bodies um, or fire department miss bodies, uh, but hopefully not there Um Because they searched his house on Wednesday. Yeah. And he also
1: had a roommate and the police questioned the roommate Mm -hmm. and the roommate had no idea about any of this. And they do believe that the roommate had nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. Um, He apparently, Cody Taylor, did not have a criminal background Mm -hmm. and that the family says that they did not know him, but he lives super close to them. Mm -hmm. Very close. Now, you were asking about what could have triggered this Police have been very vague about this particular information, Mm -hmm. so I can't tell you where it fits in other than police have made public statements that they looked at video surveillance cameras from like 50 locations throughout the area Mm -hmm. where she disappeared. And the police say that Cody Taylor was doing some things that were suspicious to them, Mm -hmm. but police would not elaborate. What is not clear to me is, did they find that video surveillance After they interviewed him, Mm. before they interviewed him, before after After a suicide or. Yeah, it is unclear. Mm. It is Mm. unclear from the. And what are the suspicious things? They won't say. We Mm. don't know. Mm. So something is going on there.
2: Look, you know, his roommate who they've cleared from this scenario could still provide information about who he was. And we really need to know. We need to study him, even though it's after the fact. You know, we need to know what motivated this, especially because he has no criminal record. Um, you know, sometimes it's mental illness. Sometimes it's a it's a premeditated sort of a criminal mind. You know, we just don't know what motivated him to prey on her and do whatever he did and ultimately um, um, suffocate or choke her. Uh, it's
1: the the whole town, obviously. Has just been mourning yeah. this loss, and it was the police chief, the police chief himself, who found the body. Mm-hmm. So he was very emotional when he was taking questions from reporters. And in fact, when they moved her body from the medical examiner's office mm-hmm. to the funeral home, the police um, did a procession, if you will. Mm-hmm. They did a motorcade to escort her body from the, from the corners to the funeral mm-hmm. home and the service was private and all the costs for the funeral were picked up by the funeral home itself mm-hmm. so the community coming together to try and yeah. support this family but at the end of the end of the day we have no answers well, there's right. there is no just, justifiable answer for no. killing this
2: child. No, I just think that on some level it brings closure for the family and the community. It doesn't bring Fay back. It doesn't uh, provide justice at all. But, you know, you got to ask and wonder why the hell did this guy do this? You know, and I think that they need the answers. They deserve the answers. They do. And so I hope that this is not just a open and shut case for law enforcement, Um, you know, they obviously, like you said, embarked on this massive hunt for her immediately. Um, you know, it appears they did their best to do an investigation and they were led to Taylor, but at the end of the day, too little, too late, you know, her body was found, he was dead, you know, uh, no one's going to stand trial for this, for this crime. So I, I, think, you know, at least if they get some answers, um, and the police should be proactive about finding those answers.
1: These two cases have a similarity here. The first case was about an attempted kidnapping mm-hmm. of a baby. Mm-hmm. And our second case is about the kidnapping and murder of a child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why you have to take these things so seriously when people mm-hmm. start acting weird around your kid. Yeah. You really have to follow your gut on that, mm-hmm. and even and it's and even the police will tell you sometimes these stories sound crazy until they get to the bottom of it, mm-hmm. and it wasn't all that crazy. That's what was. Well, really you have going to be on. extra
2: vigilant um, when you have children, and I think that you know there's some positive things about social media, but there's also some very negative things about social media. People get duped um, far yes. easier than they would, you know, back in the days when there was no social media. Uh, Somehow they think they're talking to a friend and that there's this trust that develops um, online on on different platforms. And, um, you know, they let people like this woman into their home, you know, and someone you met, you don't know them from Adam, you know. Exactly. And you have a home with a baby and you let the stranger in the home. I mean, I just think that there's also a message here. And like I said, we don't know what was on Taylor's social media and what that could tell us about his state of mind and his motives. But I think there's a message here that. Um, of the positives and the negatives of social media. You know, on the one hand, you could look at Taylor's social media and maybe put together some pieces and figure out what was going on with him and his motive. On the other hand, you look at the negatives of social media, which is the ability of people to reach out and dupe a large number of victims and uh, try to go out and steal their kids.
1: So tragic. Sarah, it is time for our comments section. Okay. These are crimes— but not as horrible as we have just described. So uh, these are folks who comment on our Facebook page, and some of these crimes, they're just ridiculous. So police were called to a KFC after a disgruntled customer threw a bucket of chicken at the manager. Okay, according to police records, the woman came into KFC in Wisconsin and she wanted a refund. And the staff offered to make her, you know, new food uh-huh. the way she would like it. But she got mad and she threw the chicken at the back of the head of the restaurant manager. And then she proceeded to throw biscuits and mashed potatoes as well. So Diana S. writes, I would have lost my job that day because I would have thrown that chicken right back at her head.
2: Well, look, look, um, first of all, whether it's chicken wings and biscuits or a chair, it's still assault and battery. So there's a crime here. Um, now, Diana, I, I would say Diana don't engage, but but Diana actually could potentially have a self-defense claim. Something's thrown at her. She should be able to throw something back to defend. Herself. OK, but I would still think, you know, you might right. be walking a fine line. And Cheryl P. writes she should be banned from KFC for life. I happen to agree with her. Right. And KFC <laughs> has the right to ban whoever they want. Absolutely. And refuse service. I'm sure they have a sign up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. With this lady's picture. <laughs> <laughs> and Brad H.
1: writes, people like this should not go out in public. Well, certainly not on this day. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Now we're going to get to the man with the tattoo on his forehead. As you can see, it says there, Crime Pays. And so it's very bold in bold letters across the top of his forehead. he has got other tattoos on his face, but Crime Pays is the key here. Mm-hmm. So this is Donald Murray. And his photo went viral in December after he and his tattoo were featured on an episode of Live PD. On Monday, Donald was charged with resisting law enforcement, reckless driving, possession of methamphetamine, maintaining a common nuisance and auto theft after a police pursuit. Very busy guy.
2: Right. And it's like it's like this tattoo. first of all, uh, tattoos that are visible, um, us defense attorneys, you know, immediately have our clients remove them. Um, you know, we I, I send them, even if they can't afford it, you know, I send them to Father Boyle in East LA and they have a tattoo removal, remo- removal service um, because they're really damning. They're really bad. I mean, people don't look at Facial tattoos and go, this is a nice guy, you know. And so with him, it's like, here, come get me. You know, I mean, it's so easily identifiable for police to find this guy. And crime, by the way, does not pay. It costs money and time. Well, he clearly has an opinion. And so do some
1: of our uh, Facebook uh, friends. James P. writes, guess he means whatever money he earns working in the prison laundry. Mm-hmm. Jamie P. writes, he's missing a word on his forehead. Doesn't. Mm-hmm. Crime doesn't pay. I agree. And then Miroslav H. writes, well, that is his prisoner identification stamp. I guess he doesn't need a number. No, he definitely doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then this last one. I'm fascinated by this. I wish we could we could really delve into this yeah. one. This is jars of preserved human remains found under a Florida home. Gainesville police are investigating jars of preserved remains, including tongues, human tongues, that were found in the crawl space of a house that was previously owned by University of Florida professor. And he apparently forgot that he had brought the jars home. Mm-hmm. And the jars go back to like the 1960s, and he had brought some of these jars home. And the reason he kept them in the crawl space is because
2: it was cooler there. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what kind of research he was doing. Yeah, that's the question I have too. But but but, it, but also merely being the previous owner of a home, there's some issues of, there's some evidentiary issues. Like how do you prove that the jar... D- Actually belonged to this professor. I know we're assuming that's probably the case, right. but you know, you still need to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that these jars belonged to him, that he placed them there. Um, and again, I think a really relevant question is: is um, what kind of research was he conducting, and how was he coming across these mutilated parts? I mean, was he responsible for the <laughs> the transformation of a live body to a dead body, and then the mutilated parts, or was he getting some kind of, you know, organ donations somehow. I don't know, you know. And this was a long time ago. This was many decades
1: ago. And in fact, the University of Florida was contacted and they said, Mm -hmm. well, our policy now is that you are not allowed to remove any research material, but we don't know what the policy would have been back Back in the the 60s and the 70s. I presume it was fairly similar. Right. But I'm not even sure. I mean, is this really a crime? I mean, police certainly were called and they right. are investigating it because mm-hmm. they're body parts and anytime you find body parts you gotta. Right, like,
2: you're gonna start looking at missing people and try to link them with the professor and. But we think, you know. we
1: don't know, but it appears that it was part of his research project and, mm. you know, this was not foul play. We don't know, but this is what uh, was posted on Facebook. Jenna D writes, talk about bringing your work home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Chris C writes, professors, Got your tongue? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Ruby B, I tried to preserve jam once and it molded. I wonder what their secret was. Honestly, I think I didn't use enough pectin. Ask the professor. Yes, ask the <laughs> professor. Exactly. Well, that's it for our show this week, Sarah. Thank you so much for Thanks, coming Sarah. on. for
2: having me. We really appreciate it. Where can people find you if they need a good criminal defense attorney? So you can find me on Twitter at Azari Law and also my website, www.azarilaw.com. And as always,
1: you can find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, plus on YouTube. And you can get updates and subscribe to our newsletter at TrueCrimeDaily dot com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you: don't do crime. There's a tattoo for you. <laughs>